to talk for a few minutes about seeking the face of God. The soul of man is so big only God can fill it. The heart of man is so big only God can satisfy it. And the love of God is so amazing that He desires for everybody to accept it and to embrace it. The truth of the matter is, how do you and I know and how do you and I experience this God that we're talking about? Well, the truth of the matter is, the handiwork of God is seen throughout creation. We know there's a creation, therefore, conclusion, there must be a creator. We see a design to the universe, therefore, there must be a designer. But how do we know this designer? How do we know this creator? How do we know this God that we long for in our life? Well, again, the Bible said we know that God exists by the things that we see. We see the things in this world, we know there's a God. So He's given us a general revelation that He is. But how do we know He's not Allah or Buddha? How do we know He is Jesus the Messiah? Well, that comes to us through a special revelation, and that is the Word of God. That's why it's imperative that we be men and women of God's Word, that we read the Word. The Word of God is preached because it's God's Word that convicts us, open up our eyes to see who the real Christ is, to see who the real Messiah is, to see who the real God is, and therefore we embrace Him. So now we know who God is through the person of Jesus Christ the Lord, Sins have been forgiven. Our spirit bears witness with His that indeed we are the children of the Most High God. But after we get to know Him in a born-again experience, uh, we have a desire, innate desire to know Him better, to know Him more intimately, to know Him not just as a knowledge about Him, but to have a real genuine knowledge of who He really is. I remind you, the path upon that journey is not an easy one. Quite the contrary, the path to really know God in that relationship is not easy. It's one of brokenness, and it's a path that often leads a bloody pathway along the way. What do you mean by that, Pastor? You see, the path of knowing God is repentance. Even for the children of God, the path of really knowing God is repentance. We've got to come down low in order to see Him high. We've got to come off of our high horse to know that He is God and not we. We often parade in the Holy of Holies as if though we own that place and look at our righteousness. But when we go into the Holy of Holies to see God, we ought to go in humbly before Him and repentant before Him and brokenness before Him because in the Old Testament, if they did not approach Him the right way, they would die. And I'm here to tell you, friend, I think that many times as Christians, we become too familiar with this holy God, and we act like He's our daddy or the, the glorified bellhopper in the sky, and man, we've got Him right where we need Him in the palm of our hand. That's so much arrogancy among Christianity today. But I think to see the face of God, we need to be broken and need to be humbled and need to be repentant as we seek the face of the Lord. Are you sure about repentance and seeking God? Yes, I believe I am. Let's talk to my, uh, let's see what a guy says tonight from the Word uh, that understood that path of brokenness. He too wanted to see the face of God. He too wanted to see the glory of God, but know what God told him along the way. Exodus 33, 17 says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. We're talking about wanting to see the face of God. 
But God told Moses, no man can see my face and live. When Moses asked God to show him the glory, the Lord warned him that no man can see me and live, for no flesh can be glory in the presence of God. Even under the new covenant we live under, we still cannot behold the glory of God unless we die as well. No flesh can glory within his presence. There's a connection between God's glory and man's death. Understand that. There's a connection between God's glory and man's death. Know what the scripture said. When Moses began to press the issue, God said, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And God said, you cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Moses was familiar with the things of God. Moses was given a blueprint of the architectural design of, of, the, of the tabernacle itself. He was the man chosen of God to receive the architectural uh, blueprint, if you will, of the pre-Calvary model of salvation and man's path back to knowing God and completeness and forgiveness of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. Maybe Moses looked at the tabernacle and maybe he read and reread the law of Moses and said, you know what? This is good, but there's something missing. Uh, maybe he understood the utensils and the furniture and the tabernacle, but he said these are symbolic. They're pointing to something more. Uh, we have something here, the old, but I want something of the new. I see there's part one, but I want part two. I see the tabernacle. I see the furniture. I see the utensils. I understand what the law God gave me means, but I want to see the God who's behind all of this stuff. And yet Moses understood there was more to the glory of God than just the tabernacle and the furniture and the utensil and the law that God had given unto him. He wanted the finished product. And Moses wanted to see the total eclipse of it all. And therefore he said, show me your glory. And God replied basically, no man can see my glory and live. Only dead men can see my face. Only dead people can see my face. Have you ever had that kind of a hunger for God? I've read the Bible and reread the Bible. I spent a great deal of my adult life in church. As a matter of fact, I'll probably spend more time in church than anywhere else in the world. I love getting here at six o'clock in the morning and reading the Bible and praying and seek the face of God and seeing what the Bible opens up to me. I enjoy that. Yet with all of that, I'm much like Moses of old. God, there's more. I want to see the face of God. I want the glory of God. I want the touch of God. I want to experience the reality of the living God. And maybe we've all come to that point where we honestly can say, we want to see his face. And and we answer the prayer on our behalf if the glory of God can show up. There's such outpourings we see in the Bible. There were such outpourings of God's Spirit throughout history. On the book, in the book of Acts, in the day of Pentecost, the glory of God came down upon them as a result of their waiting, their tearing, their brokenness, and their humility before God. Twenty years later, uh, when Paul the Apostle went to the Ephesians believers and they had never received the Holy Spirit, the glory of God came down upon them again. We read about Amy Simple McPherson, Smith Wigglesworth, people like William Seymour, who used to stick his head in an apple crate uh, praying for the glory of God to come down. He wanted his face to be hid from God's glory, but he stuck his face in an apple crate and prayed for God's glory to come down uh, during the great Azusa Street meeting. We talk about people like uh, Cho uh, in South, uh, uh, South Korea and the Brownsville Revival, and the list goes on and on and on. When the accumulated prayers of God's people gathered together with a crescendo of power and of hunger and of intensity, it finally gets to the point where God says, 
I think they're serious about me. I think I see some dead people there. I think I see the humility and the brokenness uh, that they'll bring before me. And God says, you know what? I believe it's about time that I show up and manifest my presence to them and show up and manifest my glory to them uh, because they're dead as far as I'm concerned. Then humility and brokenness and they throw everything they have upon me. May God grant us grace to pray. May God grant us a humility to pray. May God give unto us a spirit of humility to out to the living God. There are many Christians today that really do not understand what intercessory prayer is all about. More times than not, we think screaming at demons is praying. We think shouting out demands to God is praying. Uh, we think just confessing the Word of God for what we want and what we think God wants to give us. We think all of that's praying. But friend, we simply need God to show up. When we pray and seek the face of the Lord, it's not about me, it's not about you. It's about the manifest glory of God coming upon us as dead people in the presence of the living God. Beloved, there's a battle for prayer and a battle as we pray. I realize that we don't hop down on one knee and mumble a few words in the presence of God and get victory. Every time that I get on my knees to pray, there's a battle. And when I'm on my knees, a battle to get there and a battle while I'm there. I hit my knees and the battle is get up, you're done. Why? Because I know I have to pray my prayers through all the opposition that demonic powers and forces I can hurdle over me in my prayer time. I remind you, he wants to discourage us when we pray. Why? We know where Satan's seat is. Satan has made his headquarters in the atmospheric cabins of where we pray. And every time we pray, we've got to pray through that opposition. And no wonder the apostle Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Daniel prayed for 21 days. Not that God didn't hear him, but there was a battle in the heavenlies. And because he continued to be faithful in prayer, he continued to seek the face of God. He did not give up and God answered and the desire of the heart was given for the glory of God. Friend, if the Spirit of God could help us to reject this rulership of the domain of Satan and his forces of darkness, if enough of us would reject his domain the right way, I believe he would see the manifest glory of God come over New Life Assembly over Lakeland, Florida, and if we prayed enough and long enough with enough people over the United States of America and even around this world, for the glory of the Lord shall fill the earth. Where is it at tonight? Where is it at tonight? If we will do our part, I believe God will slap an eviction notice upon the regions of the damned and say, get lost because my manifest glory is coming upon those who've repented, upon those who are broken, upon those who have a humility spirit, a humble spirit, and those that are seeking my face, not for their own self, but for the glory of God to be manifested. Such praying will open up heavens over our community, over our state, and over our nation, I do believe. When the glory of God comes, people will be drawn to that glory. Remember when the bush caught on fire in the Old Testament? What happened? It drew Moses, didn't it? There's something about the supernatural presence of God. There's something about the glory of God manifest in the right way that draws people. How can such things happen? It happens when there's a visitation, a manifestation of the presence of God. May we be people of prayer. May we be prayer warriors. May we be intercessors. And we pray in such a way that we'll open up the gates of heaven and shut the gates of hell for the glory of God.
One of the problems I think that we have is whenever we have a good service and when we feel like revivals come, we tend to camp out around that particular burning bush and we no longer press in with God, so we just dance around that burning bush, so to speak. We're so caught up on what happened at the bush, we never go back to Egypt to take the deliverance of the ones that need it. All we want is His presence, His glory, the tinkle, the feel good. But all that is, friend, we need more than the burning bush. We need the God of the bush. And when we know the God of the bush, then we can't help but go back into Egypt, the world, and tell people about the God who can set free, the God who can save, the God who can deliver, the God that can do great and mighty things. Friends, it's not enough simply to be blessed. I want to receive the blesser. It's not enough just to be anointed. I want to know the one that does the anointing. It's not just enough to be using the gifts of the Spirit. I want to know the giver of those gifts. It's not enough just to camp out and enjoy the toys that God gives us. I want to know the maker of those toys. It's not just about blessing and anointing and the feel good. It's about knowing the God who makes those things possible within our life. I want God's anointing. I want God's touch in my life. I want to be using the gifts of the Spirit. I want to know God's voice. I want to experience all that He has. I want to be filled. But friends, that's not enough for a man after the heart of the Almighty God. And I pray it's not enough in your life either. Too many times when we have a visit of God, our eyes on the wrong things. As I said, we want His touch. We want His blessings. We want His anointing. But if we're not careful, we can turn the church into a bless me club. The Bible is filled with examples of people who had God's touch in their life. The Bible is full of examples of congregations in the, in the New Testament who had God's touch on their life. History is full of people, of homes, of churches that had God's touch upon their lives. And they all had one thing in common. They frequent the altar. They understood the importance of the altar. Churches have gotten away from the altar. I know COVID has done a lot here to cause that, but the altar is a meeting place with God. And we have so stigmatized the altar that we think an altar is a place where bad people come. No, an altar is a place where good people come to meet a good God to meet a living God. It's a place, the altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place of death. Nowhere in the Bible is it ever mentioned that the altar is a place of blessing. Think about that for a moment. An altar exists for one thing. Just ask a little lamb of the Old Testament how blessed he got at the altar. He died. His blood was shed. Why? Because it was that blood at that altar that God saw and accepted. A place, not a place of blessing, a place of death. If we can embrace the death, then perhaps we can see God's face. And seeing God's face, experiencing God's glory, demands death to those of you and I that are seeking God. Now, that's, that's, you don't hear that often, do you? But if we're going to see God, we got to die. How do we die, Pastor? The, old, the New Testament principle of dying, to me, is repentance humility and brokenness before God. Like the publican, and, and not the Republican, the publican in the Bible. The old Pharisee went, I thank God I'm not like that publican. But the old publican, oh God, forgive me, one of humility. We much approach God much the same way. I don't care how old we are, how long we serve God, we still need to approach the throne of God as a dead person. Yeah. One of humility, knowing that He's God, we are not. I'm going to tell you something, and, and maybe I quit preaching here and talking and start meddling. 
I get a little perturbed when I see people and preachers on TV, the boldness that they have with their familiarity with God. It, it, it scares me. I'm telling you, friends, it scares me. Because the longer I serve God, and the more intimately I get close to God, the more I'm more aware of how powerful He is and what a little peon I am. Many people are playing marbles with diamonds in the kingdom of God. And many people are taking the holy things of God and make them so familiar and making them trite. We serve a holy, almighty, powerful God. And no flesh can glory in His presence. And for us to really seek His face and to know Him intimately means we die. Amen. And we die through repentance, through humility, and through brokenness along the way. Again, the New Testament equivalent of death is repentance, brokenness, and humility before God. Too many times we give God lip service both to Him in person as also His Word. We say His Word is true, but then we act like it's a lie. We say God loves us, then we act like He don't. What, what, what if God meant what He said? What, what, what if it's true that God only, can only manifest His face to those that are dead? More times than not, we're content with the way things are. But if we're not careful, we're in danger of stopping at the burning bush and watching the fire when we fail to experience the God who's in that bush. We get excited about the fire. We can't there, but in reality, the fire in the bush is not what we need. We need the God who brought the fire to the bush. Yeah. Does that make sense? Amen. The true purpose of God's visitation among us is that lives might be transformed. As we enter into the, face, the presence of God into His face, it's not just to bless me, O God, but transform my life. Renew my spirit. Encourage me, make me, mold me, put me on the potter's wheel, and make me what you desire me to be, all for the glory of God. Now that's the true purpose of God's visitation among us. Let's get our eyes off of God's toys, and off of God's blessings, and off of God's gifts, and let's get our eyes upon God. Get our eyes off the burning bush, <laughs> onto the God who brought the fireworks in the first place. Like Moses of old, we cried out, Lord, it's not enough. Oh, friend, I appreciate the fire, but I want the living God of the fire. Are you hungry for such a relationship with God? Are you hungry for true bread? Are you thirsty uh, for living water? I want to see who He is. I want to know who He is. As a church member, as part of the church, I want to know my God. Not just as a God of blessing, or a God of healing, or a God of anointing, or a God of miracles, all that's important, but I want to know God. I, I marvel at the words of the Apostle Paul. This man had a revelation from God's Word second to none. He got saved and filled with the Spirit, led into the wilderness, or led into Arabia for three years. Nothing but the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament and, and prayer. And the man came out of that place with a revelation that gave us probably two-thirds of the New Testament. What a revelation he had. And yet he still said, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. If the great apostle Paul wanted to know God more intimately, where in the world does that leave me? 
Oh, that we know our God, that the church would know God. That's where we must stand, calling upon God to open up heavens right here at 8595 U.S. Highway 98 North at New Life Assembly of God. Nobody on this earth can strike the match of the burning bush. Only God can strike that match. But we can sure provide the kindling, can we not? I said we can sure provide the kindling for the glory of the Almighty God. Our part is just continue to wander in this wilderness if we can until we find the spot where the bush is burning and then praise God, let's find the God in the midst of that bush while we're here. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be so in fire with God that we could take the gospel into our community much like Jonah did to Nineveh? Think about that. Nineveh were a bunch of reprobate heathen people. They were so bad treated Israel so unjustly that Jonah did not even want them to repent. He wanted them to burn. He had such a love for Israel, but he knew if he went to Nineveh, they would repent. And that, here's an evangelist that, that, that wanted to be defeated before he ever got there. But wouldn't it be great if we could have that burning bush experience that we would see the God in that bush and like Moses, we would go back to the Egypt with a powerful message and mandate just like Jonah did uh, when he went into Nineveh itself. And when he went there, souls were saved and lives were spared. God will do the same thing for us if we seek the face of God. Notice, if you will, that same kind of revival should have happened in Nazareth, but it didn't. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walked the streets, and he went into the synagogues, and a genuine revival should have been there as he went in, and he stood up, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and then he read from that passage the things he wanted to do. He wanted to heal the sick. He wanted to open up blind eyes. He wanted to set the prisoners free, but they would not allow him to do that because of their unbelief. May I remind you, Nazareth was the Bible belt of that day. And sometimes we look to the wrong place thinking God's going to move. And sometimes we look at other places and think God can move. God could have moved in Nazareth and they wouldn't let him. And it's impossible for God to move in Nineveh. And he did. So we may think we are in an impossible place today. But I mean to tell you, if we will seek the face of God as a dead man or a dead woman through repentance and humility and brokenness, God can so empower us with his mighty presence that we can go back in into Lakeland and to the far corners of this world, and people will take knowledge of the God that we know. It doesn't matter what a person looks like. It doesn't matter what a place looks like. Only God knows the plans He has for the future. Many Christians say, well, uh, there's no hope for the major cities like Miami or uh, Orlando or New York or Chicago or Hollywood or even our little hometown of Lakeland. There's just no way in the world anything's going to happen. But friend, if Nineveh can experience a move of God, why can't our major cities around the world? But I'm here to tell you, I hope you understand me. If all we want is God's blessings and God's toys and all we want is God's giftings and God's glory or, or God's, uh, God's uh, feeling good around us, it's not going to get the job done. But if we will go before the throne of God as a broken dead man and he can so touch us and equip us, when we go back in the world, they'll say the same thing they did in the early church. They took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. They took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Praise God. Only dead men can see God's face and live. And the Bible said in Numbers 14, 21, the glory of God will cover the earth. Now the high priest of the Old Testament knew something about this. He was a dead man walking into the Holy of Holies. Now think about this. 
The high priest on an annual basis would go into the Holy of Holies. He would stay up the night before all night long reading the law. Other priests would stay up with him because he would not want to go to sleep for fear he would dream something that would defile him. All night long he stood up reading the law. The other priests would hold him up. The only way he'd ever walk out of that room was by the mercy of God after he entered in. Now we don't understand about approaching the glory of God today as they did in the Old Testament. We talk about the glory and say the glory is here, but is it? The anointing of God is here. It may be a measure of God's anointing. It may be a measure of God's glory, but it's not the totality of it all. Mountains melt at the manifest glory of God. Demons scream at the manifest glory of God. They're not impressed about religion. We fail to understand something about the glory of God. The Apostle Paul said, no flesh should glory in his presence. If, if there's flesh present when the glory of God comes, then it's got to be dead flesh because nothing can live in the manifest presence of God. The only mortal thing that can remain in his presence and stand is dead flesh because only dead men can see the face of God. Now think with me a few minutes about what must have happened to the high priest in the Old Testament. Once a year he'd leave his home with a heavy heart. He would probably kiss his family goodbye and say, I hope I will see you all tomorrow. They would sacrifice an animal, be a lamb or goat, whatever. He would take the blood and anoint his ears, his thumbs, and his big toes, which was symbolically saying, I'm a dead man. He would dress himself with a high priestly garment, no doubt. He would say, is my epode on correctly? Do I have everything in proper? Is it where it needs to be? Am I, am I dressed the way I need to be dressed? Am I okay? Is there anything out of order? And they would tie a rope around his ankle. And then they would give unto him a bowl or a container that was connected to a chain that had hot embers in the bottom. The priest would take a handful of holy incense. He would drop it on top of the embers, which would create a thick cloud and its beautiful smelling smoke. The priest would then stick the center, the censer under the veil, get down on his knees, and open up that veil, in my opinion, take a quick breath and pray for the mercy of God. Put that censer in and wave it back and forth until the smoke filled the entire Holy of Holies. And as he would take that bell back, he would crawl in. Friend, it's a lot easier to approach God on our knees than it is on our feet. Yeah. And while he was there in that holy of holies, the smoke was everywhere, hoping to hide his face from the manifest presence of God. Everything he did, he did blindly because he could not see. When he offered up the blood, when he went through the utensils, everything he did, the smoke was so thick, he had to do it by faith, by feeling. And if everything was done right, God accepted the sacrifice and he was able to come back out. The way he knew the covering cloud was thick enough was that he could not see anything at all inside that holy of holies. That's remarkable. How come we think today that we can approach God differently? Well, Pastor, I'm washed in the blood. I can come boldly to the throne of grace. That's right. But we still come in as dead men. In God's mercy that kept 
that keeps them away from us. From generation to generation, Christians have prayed strange little prayers and they beat upon the ground. Lord, show me your face. Lord, show me your glory. Lord, let your manifest glory be upon us. And I believe God understands that, that we want it. But on the other hand, he holds us at bay because he said, I can only come to where you have died. You, Isaiah said, the year that he saw King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. When the kings of our life die, when we die to ourselves and say, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me, then we have the chance of seeing the manifest glory of the living God. Here's something to think about that makes no sense to me, but here it goes. Why does God come near death? Why does God come near death? What is it about the stench of burning hair and burning hide of a sacrifice that's so inviting to God to cause him literally to leave heaven and enter into a holy of holies in the Old Testament? What is it about the stench, the smell of burning hair and burning hide? I don't know about you. I can't stand to smell flesh burning. I can't stand to smell hair that's burning. And yet it, it, it moved a holy God from the throne of heaven to come into a holy of holies where that smell of death was at. There's something about death that's inviting to God. And you may not realize it, but it's death has been in every revival of church history. Death of many of the people brought forth the Azusa Street Revival. Death was the first and the second great awakening. Death was about the Pentecostal pioneer, uh, Frank Bartleman of the Azusa Street Revival said, the depth of your repentance will determine the height of your revival. The depth of your repentance will determine the height of your revival. What am I saying? Christians, let's be repentive. Let's be broken and let's be humble as we become before the holy God. He's the master, we are not. There's more, the more death that God smells, the closer he seems to draw to us. I don't understand it. It's as if the smell of that sacrifice was a signal to God to draw close to God in that moment without striking them down for their sin. God cannot come close to living flesh because the living flesh reeks of the smell of the world. There's something about the death that God likes. Does that make sense to you? That's why brokenness, that's why repentance, that's why humility before God is the New Testament equivalent of death. It brings the manifest presence and power of glory of God in our midst. But we want to avoid repentance because we don't like the smell of death. Anybody that's ever smelled hair burning or flesh burning, it's a stench. But somehow to God it smells good. Somehow to God it smells good. Somehow to God it smells good. Are we men and women after God's heart? Are we satisfied for what we have or do we want to press on for more? It's not about works. It's about relationship. And friends, the flesh dies hard. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
The only thing about it, we are to be living sacrifices. And scripture said, know you not that you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are that living sacrifice. But the only thing about a sacrifice today, human like us, we can jump off of that altar anytime we want to. Jesus Christ has been away from us now for over 2,000 years, literally. And the longer he delays his coming back, in many respects, the more contaminated the church becomes with the world. There are pockets of revival around the world. There are many burning bushes around the world. There's a lot of emotionalism around the world. There's a lot of hype on Christian radio and television about, oh, how they have God in their hip pocket. But I want to ask the question, where is the manifest presence of God? I don't know about you, friends, but I am nervous in the air of the church today. I'm somewhat scared about what I see happening uh, through the auspices of the church today. But I pray, God, pierce my ear. Make me a dead man. Not literally death, but in humility, in brokenness, in repentance before my God. And the more I seek him through death, the more he loves that smell, and he will draw near to us. 